0: Welcome to Sports Spectrum, the sports and faith podcast that brings Jesus back into the conversation. Here's your host, Jason Romano. This episode of the Sports Spectrum podcast is brought to you by Compassion International. They're the child development organization that works, releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. They were founded in 1952, and they partner with more than 7,000 churches in 25 countries to serve over 2 million Babies, children, and young adults. They're doing great work releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. For more information how you can partner and become a sponsor for a child with Compassion, go to their website, Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. Over 66 years sharing Jesus with every single child. That's what it's about. Check it out, compassion.com slash sports spectrum, and sponsor a child today. On today's show, very excited to bring to you New York Times' best-selling author, speaker, evangelist, and former college baseball player Jefferson Bethke is our guest here on the podcast. And Jefferson, if you know his video or his book, if you might recognize the name and think, okay, I know that, where is that from? Well, he's the author of the book, Jesus Greater Than Religion, a New York Times bestseller. And he was also the creator of a video. This is where it really all started for him in 2012, creating a video on YouTube, the video called Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. And as of late May, That video still was at 34 million views and counting. I've seen it shown in youth groups. I've seen it shown in churches. I've seen it shown at conferences. In his book, I got to tell you that Jesus Greater Than Religion book helped me a lot in my walk as I uh, geared away from the sort of religious practice of going to church as a young Catholic boy, to understanding about a personal relationship with Jesus and who Jesus was and why it was so important to follow him and not a tradition. So Jeff's books have helped me, and it's helped a lot of people. I've come in contact with many, many people, especially in the sports world, many athletes who've read this book and can't speak highly enough about what this book did for them in their journey to jesus so really excited to have jefferson here on the podcast talk about his baseball career he played college baseball grew up loving baseball in the seattle mariners and then getting into a few different topics with him including social media including parenting uh just lots of good stuff here from jeff so take a listen jefferson bethke new york times best-selling author evangelist and speaker joining us here on sports spectrum's podcast Jefferson, welcome to the podcast. Jason, thanks so much for having me. This is fun. Jeff, this is great. I'm so glad that we were able to do this. And uh, we've known each other for a few years now. And I I remember how we got connected through social media and then able to get you to come here where I still am in Bristol, Connecticut, and took you to the ESPN headquarters and spent a day there. And I remember when I, re- I, I introduced you to Tim Kirkshin and oh. your eyes went, googly eye. It was like the biggest deal for you to meet Kirkshan. And it just really showed me, I think, as we dive into your journey here, how much you love baseball. Can you share a little bit about that love of baseball and where that came from? Yeah,
1: totally. Well, it was funny mentioning that. Cause like you said, you know um, you know, we got lucky with the day I came and visited and stuff like that with what was it Sunday, what they call it Sunday night countdown or something yeah. where I had the football guys, you know, so then Berman and some of these other guys, they're amazing and it was fun to shake their hands. But yeah, being a baseball guy, when I saw Tim Kirchner, he's like a legend to me, and just like I love that guy. So, and that was in passing, right? I was we were coming in that one door, he was coming out, and we he yeah, that was that was awesome. That's it, yeah. Um. So yeah, baseball. I mean, I don't even know where to it's kind of one of those things where I started so young, it just felt like it was just kind of like, you know, the same way you learn to read or learn to walk or whatever as a kid. So I don't even know if I like cultivated a love for it as a kid. It was just like what I played as a kid that then turned into just like what I did and then what I did enjoy and then what I did love. But yeah, played baseball all the way from, I don't know, from before I have memory. So I guess I would have been like age three ish, four ish, probably, you know, T-ball or before then. And then yeah, played all the way through college, high school. Um, so I guess 17 years, which is funny to, you know, it's funny when you play college baseball and you kind of, you know, and you don't Go play professional. Right. It's interesting to kind of realize then how you kind of played and dedicated your life to a sport that really doesn't have any huge, immediate, measurable payoff once you're done. There is uh, there is a dramatic kind of cutoff after college baseball where you just kind of feel like, oh, I just played that sport for 17 years and dedicated, you know, 250 days a year to it, you know, three hours a day, whatever. Uh and it's kind of just done. Move on. It's just a weird kind of psychological thing a lot of people don't talk about, you know. Did you play like in a bunch of rec leagues or any like, you know, old man baseball or softball leagues no, just to no, kind of keep I know, it I, going? I, I, I might I might coming up here soon, but no, I never <laughs> did. I just once I was done playing in college, I just stopped and kinda moved on and got a career and uh and start or started working and all that stuff. But yeah, I wish uh looking back, I was I was I was I was a I was a left-handed pitcher and a center fielder, right fielder for on uh, my college team and then uh and uh, and so yeah, like I do miss being on the mound,
0: man. Pitching is I def definitely miss pitching. Hmm. Tell me about uh, baseball memories as a kid. Do you have like that little league memory that you might tell you know your grandkids someday that grandpa was did this or accomplished that? Is there a game or a moment that sticks out for you <laughs> in your in your baseball career? Yeah, I'd have to think about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I had a blast playing as a kid
1: though. Grew up in Seattle, Washington, and so. Obsessed with Seattle Mariners uh, and obsessed with that era of them, right? One of the best, kind of one of the best teams in the history of the MLB that never actually won anything. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. you know, uh, you know, the the early the mid '90s was my you know golden era of me loving them, and that would have been you know Arod, Griffey, Jay Buhner, Edgar Martinez, uh, just some phenomenal you know Hall of Famers and players but uh that's mostly what I remember when I think of baseball as a kid not like my own coach pitch team but just like going to the kingdom going to Mariners games I would even I we, I we were so diehard. we'd go to the trip we had season tickets to the Triple A team oh wow yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah we we loved I loved uh, and I was that I was that kid that's actually the baseball memories I think of is not games but I was the I was that kid where we had season tickets to the Triple A team to come Rainier years, about 30 minutes from Seattle and That's, you know, obviously where, you know, if A Rod's hurt, he comes in rehabs. Jay Buhner, there was a couple of Randy Johnson. And I was just that kid that, like, uh, had it down to a science of how to, like, get a signed card, how to get a bat, how to get, you know, these things that, like, were really fun and autographs, and I would collect them. So, yeah, so I actually ended up having this almost like cache of uh, just people's gloves and bats and cards and all that stuff over the years that I collected and then like ended up selling on eBay when I was like in my twenties in college <laughs> when I need money. Um, that's yeah, amazing. Like 000, yeah. I, I sold one A-Rod card for like, I think like 1200 bucks or something. And then, uh, yeah. How did Jay Buhner sign bat like just, And it was all from just when they would come down to triple A. And isn't that crazy?
0: That is nuts. I mean, so you you got to meet all of your heroes. A lot of people like for me, I, I grew up a Mets fan. You know, Daryl Strawberry was my guy. But I think I went to three games. I lived two hours away from Shea Stadium. And gosh, I, I never even remotely came close to meeting or getting, getting anywhere near Daryl Strawberry until I was at ESPN. So as a kid, that would have been like the greatest thing. So just thinking for you. How awesome that must have been to get that close to Griffey and to Buner and oh, to yeah. the big unit. Well they're those giants,
1: guys. right? They're yeah. giants when you're that age. And then what's cool is like at a triple A stadium, it's so intimate and it's so small yeah. that they even engage you differently because they don't get overwhelmed by it, right? Like forty-five thousand people don't want to see them. There's like two thousand people and then out of those two thousand, maybe a hundred want to stay after and get an autograph or something, you know? So it was Um, so the intimacy of it was really, really cool. You could see them, you know, where the locker room door is that you could stand outside of after to get their autograph or get it after the game. And so, yeah, it was really, really cool. And then it was really cool, you know, AAA to see those players that like not come down for rehab, but this are so young, they're actually in AAA, but then, and you've never really heard of them, but then they go up and become better later, you know? So Mm. it was just cool. That was, that was a lot of my actual baseball memories is just kind of tracking the sport of baseball and the
0: Mariners and all that stuff. Jefferson Bethke is our guest here on the Sports Spectrum podcast. I think a lot of people know about your book, Jesus Greater Than Religion. Your video, obviously, it was 2012. And we'll talk about the video in a second and kind of how it came about. But before that, let's go back maybe 15 years from now. What's that? 2004. Where is, where is life for you growing up in your teen years? Where's God for you? It's not life, but where is God for you in that yeah. life as you're growing up in high school, going into, into that college time when you were playing baseball? Oh, too funny. You
1: mentioned 2004. That would have been because I just did the math and that would have been my freshman year of high school, which was actually one of the more significant, uh, years in my life in kind of a bad trajectory. I would, I would have considered that's when I started to kind of really just get hard, hard hearted, make some bad decisions. So yeah, my story is, um, I grew up with a single mom. She's awesome. She's amazing. Love her to death. She's just incredible. Mm. Um, Worked hard to provide for us, but we still were on, you know, government housing, food stamps, Section 8, moved around a lot, et cetera. And um, freshman year, yeah, baseball was kind of the thing, kind of keeping me on the straight and narrow usually. But then freshman year, I just started to kind of, you know, do the typical stuff that a fatherless child does, just kind of make dumb decisions, kind of stop caring about school, blah, 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 you know, and to the point where, uh, I'm trying to even think the exact order of things, but yeah, basically it just turned to the point where it was just getting so bad. I was kind of like flunking out of high school just basically because I, and it was funny as I actually was, I was ahead of grade. I skipped a grade because I, back in like elementary, I was, you know, whatever those tests of, I was ahead and it would have been better and challenging to go ahead. So I was actually always young for my grade cause I was ahead. Mm. Then I got to high school and kind of just, you know, turned to a dud basically just gave up and you know, there's probably a lot of stuff there. So basically it wasn't in a good place with the Lord, even though I would have said I grew up kind of knowing the right things and we did go to church. And so I had kind of the knowledge of those things. And so that was when my mom, it was actually really cool. She, uh, there was one baseball coach I had who gave me private lessons, who was a believer and just one of those solid like father figures, Mm. um, and presence in my life. And so when that started to happen in my freshman year, he was actually the coach of a high school team not just private lessons about 30 minutes away and so my mom just made the decision to just basically pull me out and and we just moved she we completely picked up our house and moved to that city uh so i could play baseball with him and basically be under him in more of like a daily way because she was kind of seeing me going in a bad trajectory and seeing if that would kind of help me bring me back around and it actually did so it was just it was that that would have been that year when that happened where i was kind of just making poor decisions and doing bad at school and kind of just you know Uh, not respectful, you know, as a teenager, stuff like that. And so then we would have moved and that would have been, and I got plugged in with a lot better group of friends and then started playing baseball on that team. And he actually became a really solid kind of second father in my life. And so, yeah, that's, that's when that would have happened, which
0: is crazy. So you had seeds planted about God and seeds planted about church and even being around that coach that was a godly sort of influence on you. But if I was to ask you high school Jefferson Bethke, Jeff, who was or what was your God in high school? What would you say? My, myself, probably. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah.
1: Self, uh, girls, just like whatever felt good, whatever I wanted to do, um, nothing that took any type of hard work or discipline, kind of just the typical undisciplined, lack of discipline, um, fatherless teenager, for lack of a better term. And so, yeah, so that actually, even though we moved and I, I was i was like. I got put in a better spot, at least in a functional way where I started to get better grades again and was playing baseball and doing well functionally. But yeah, like in my own heart, my own mind, I wasn't walking with the Lord. And then that stuff started to just get kind of hard hearted, more hard hearted all the way through high school. So yeah, the four years of high school were kind of just um, me not making the absolute best decisions, but still like more on paper doing okay, if that makes sense. I recovered and was, you know, a good student, good baseball player. People look, you know, look up to me and I was doing fine. But uh, it wouldn't have been until the freshman year of college that I actually would have said I had an encounter with the Lord because of some of the decisions I was making and stuff like that. And so, yeah, that's when that would have been the actual turnaround, which then, like you said, then then one of the first people I went to was then my high school baseball coach who was a believer and who had planted those seeds for four years. And it was really a huge lesson on just like how to love someone and be faithful to someone, knowing that, you know, it's the Lord. It's on the Lord's timetable. You know, yeah, um, that was always such a been such a lesson to me as he did such a good job of that, of just being a faithful presence, um, not trying to, you know, like, you know. Push me one way or the other really fast. And that
0: was really huge. Can you explain that encounter? Maybe take us into that encounter that you just kind of mentioned that, that encounter with the Lord for the first time.
1: Yeah. So I go to college down in San Diego to play baseball. And, um, and like I said, I was doing, you know, Doing it, it was it was successful by the worldly standards. I was playing college baseball. I had good grades. It was a nice university. I was excited, and then uh, a couple things kind of crumbled all at once that freshman year. Where I think I uh, I think my first serious girlfriend broke up with me. I got put on academic probation because I actually started kind of making some really poor decisions again in college, getting into party and all that stuff. And then I got kicked off the baseball team because of that, which is – that was the only reason I went to that school. So though, all three of those happened within like two weeks. And that kind of put me in a little bit of like an identity crisis of like, oh, wow, I need to – what am I doing here? What's the point? Why am I even at the school then if I'm not playing baseball, blah, blah, blah? Just kind of it really – I say it kind of made me pull my head out of the sand. I feel like I realized that my head was in the sand just kind of – a lot of us live more robotic than we think. Yeah. A lot of us live more hedonistic than we think where we're just kind of – we don't realize that we're just driven by impulse, driven by what feels good, tastes good, smells good. And – um with, of course, some mitigation against that. And so, uh, yeah. And so that was kind of the first time where I think I just woke up and kind of just really, it was the first time I really looked at my whole life of like, what is the point? You know, those really big questions. What, why am I here? Who is God? What's the point of this whole thing? Um, and I was also first time. I also realized that me in the driver's seat of my own life, um, never ended well, you know, like it, it got, that's what got me here. That's what got me to this place was me, thinking that i'm king and that i make my own decisions and that i am in control of my own life and so yeah that would have been then kind of then all the seeds and all the people who supported me and you know from church and all that stuff all those would have kind of came those kind of came slowly flooding back to me Mm. uh my freshman year of college where then i that was kind of the first place i turned i just went back to the scriptures i went back to some of the stuff i thought i heard as a kid and kind of started investigating and being intrigued and um, yeah, and it wasn't an overnight thing, but I would have said over over a period of a couple months, I kind of just uh, repented and believed. I kind of just looked – I kind of – I got to this place where I was like loving the scriptures, loving Jesus, felt like I was drinking from a well of deep water. And then I kind of looked back and I was like, oh, I don't really make those choices anymore. I'm not really chasing that anymore. It was almost like a secret conversion of like I never actually concentrated on that part. I just like concentrated on Jesus. Right. And then I looked back and I was like, oh, I guess – I guess I repented from that stuff. And I guess I believe in Jesus. Like, that's what it means to follow him. You know, um, I have a new heart, new desires now. So yeah, that would have been freshman year of college. And, uh, in
0: 2008, I guess. Okay. So that's 11 years ago or so. And then it was just yeah. a few years after that, that you have this idea of making a video, uh, cause you were still in college, I believe when you made the video, right? yeah so that would have been my senior year in
1: college where I was you know walk with the Lord for four years now. I was trying to engage some students around me and host Bible studies and encourage people around me and um other people who were kind of maybe walking the same path that I did. And, um, yeah. And so one of the ways that I w- did that is I wrote a poem for my school's open mic, uh, which was just like once a month, you know, people who sing or musicians or whatever can get up there. Um, and I was just like, Oh, this will be a kind of a cool opportunity to really kind of get people's attention. And I grew up in more of like an urban context, hip hop culture. And so I love spoken word and that was kind of popular then. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I just wrote like a spoken word poem, uh, uh, uh kind of about Jesus and some other things. And, that was actually it was specifically for like my friends and the students at the school not for the internet or not whatever and it went well and it was really encouraging and it was really cool but then i just kind of graduated and moved on and then like you know 6 months after graduating my buddy was like hey i'm i'm home for the weekend he was still in college and he was like i'm bored uh, you know, he's like, let's make a video. That's what millennials do when you're bored, you know, make a video. Um, <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's it's like second nature to us, you know? And so, uh, so I was like, Oh, okay, cool. I was like, well, I don't know. I don't have anything to say or any topic. I was like, Oh, but I wrote this poem thing. That'll be easy. I don't have to, we don't have to write anything new. I'll just can do this. And so then boom, it was like accidental. We did it. And, uh, and then the next day it had like 2 million views. So it was totally just like the most crazy, surreal, instant, weird,
0: uh, moment of my life, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, and in many ways, it's a catalyst of where you are right now, in, in a lot of ways, but I want to talk about 100%. that sort of That sort of instant fame that came. We talked to a lot of athletes on this podcast, and a lot of them, we ask about their platform and about that sudden moment when they get recognized or when you know suddenly somebody's asking them for their autograph. And so I wonder for you, it's a different type of fame, I guess, in the sense that it's sort of internet fame, but suddenly you're getting attention and notoriety and calls from people and eventually books to write and things like that, all because of one video. What was that like trying to navigate through that right after? I mean, you're still in college at this point. So what was that like trying to navigate through that?
1: Yeah, it was weird. It was weird. I, I I guess when the video came out, I would have been, yeah, just six months removed from college. just still very young. I was 22. Um, yeah, it, it was surreal. I think part of it was very whirlwind like, like looking back, I'm just so glad that I think the Lord just kind of spared me and spared. I think the main thing I look back and I'm thankful for is that I had a really solid group of older godly men and mentors in my life yeah. who – very much were able to like protect and hedge me from that going off the rails, right? Uh, Stewarding it well, honoring it well, me not making stupid decisions, me um, being a good steward of the platform. And I think that kind of helped, uh, not kind of helped, I think that was actually the main reason it helped. And so,
0: yeah, that was, that was, that was huge. What about uh, with fame, right? And with notoriety and popularity comes the naysayers and it backlash is always going to become from, you know, whether it's religious people or others. What what type of backlash did you receive, I guess, when this video came out? Did you did you receive any backlash? Because it's so popular and it's getting viewed by so many people, even still to this day. But was there backlash? And was there sort of that negative side of things that you had to deal with? Yeah, for sure. There was a lot
1: of uh, backlash and there was a lot of kind of disagreement. But Man, I can't even. I'd have to think back on that. It was like seven years ago now. But yeah, I think there was the cool part is I think it just really taught me a lot on being nuanced, you know, and be careful with what you say and be, and contextualization and honoring, you know, and understanding the family of God and unity and, uh, it gave me a lot to think about too, on how I speak online. I think a lot of it, there was some really helpful critique that I think I took that I actually appreciated, Mm. but a lot of it is, was very like, I think 10 people tend to dehumanize when they critique on the internet. They don't understand there's a real person there. They don't understand that's a real life. They don't understand that person. They don't, we don't give people the benefit of the doubt and say like, Hey, what did you mean by that? They kind of just jump, you know? And so, Yeah. yeah, there was a lot of different things, but that was definitely what
0: I learned for sure. The video is called Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. I was looking at at May 21st as I wrote down some prep here. It had still almost 34 million views, which is just an amazing number to think about and sort of mind boggling that that many people would watch a video. And that's YouTube for you. That's the power of sort of the technology and YouTube and where we are. Jeff, when, when that starts to take off and your platform starts to get bigger and bigger and suddenly you start dreaming about making this a career, you know, what was, what was that process like for you? And, and was it, cause what, what, I guess what was your desire or dream or goal to, to have as a job before this new world that you live in now took shape? Yeah, good question.
1: Uh, so I was actually going to school. I was a political science major um, and I was going to go get my teaching certificate, my master's in teaching to kind of just teach like high school, social studies and stuff. Um yeah, I'd always wanted to be like a teacher of sorts, and I feel like it's always funny how you know the Lord kind of works that in different ways. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was I always I always wanted to teach. I always wanted to walk people through big ideas and I really loved that stuff and loved, you know, whiteboards basically and big concepts and stuff like that. And so yeah, that was the goal. And so it was I think I really kind of learned that in a weird way, this was where the Lord was putting me, but in a different way, right? With the internet using YouTube and using podcasts and using books to unpack big ideas and to teach um, but yeah, that was basically what happened is I kind of, when it went viral, started getting cool opportunities and had to know what, to, what to say no to, what to say yes to. And it was just a process of kind of asking, where does the Lord want us and what's he have for us? But, uh, yeah, it was just one putting one foot in front of the other and seeing if it was viable. I think that was the cool part is there wasn't a ton of risk cause we didn't have kids yet. I was still young. Me and Alyssa weren't even married yet. Yeah. So there was an ability to kind of see, let's just, let's go jump into this and I'll go say yes to when people want me to do this, this and this and see how it goes. Cause there wasn't a ton of uh, risk yet, you know?
0: Yeah, and one of the things you said yes to was your New York Times best selling book, Jesus Greater Than Religion, piggybacking certainly off the video, and it just did so well. I love that book and it's helped so many people, especially in the sports space, which is interesting and something I want to ask you about because I can't tell you the amount of people now that I'm connected with in the sports space, especially with the ministry that we do, working with professional athletes, we're at conferences. Yeah. And your book and your name comes up more times. I c I can't even imagine you know, tell uh, tell you how many times your name in, in the book has come up. I wonder, is, obviously that's not something you maybe even thought was going to take place, but how this book has really affected people in, in the sports world. Have you seen that? Yeah. Have you started to get a lot of feedback yeah. from people? No, it's weird. It's weird. I don't know. It's just, again,
1: it's like the Lord's providence, right? But yeah, that, yeah. that book totally um, has... I don't know if it's just a little bit because it's a little bit more accessible. It's a little bit more memoir-like, which people I think really like reading people's stories. And then two, I think it, I think sports people and culture really resonate with it because that's my story and that's the language in the book and it's the the, the stuff I talk, talk about in the book from my own story is the typical trappings of the trappings of a sports culture and. So, so it's like very similar. So I totally understand and totally get it. But yeah, there's all the way from like some of my buddies on the Eagles who like have done it and gone yeah. through it as a study, as a team, my old buddies on the Seahawks. I've sent some books, I think, to some NBA guys. And it's always that book. It's funny. Like I have a handful of books, but it's funny how, yeah, that, that book tends to kind of be a really cool, the Lord's just kind of blessed it and been a cool resource for kind of, a kind of, um, I don't know, unifying, integrating people and believers on teams and encouraging each other. And it's, it's really cool. It's weird, but
0: it's cool. Do you still see that today? Not with the book, but just in the idea of what the concept of the book and even that video is about, that it's really when you when you introduce people to Jesus versus a religion or versus rules and how to go to church or maybe how certain people were raised growing up in the church, that it still penetrates. It's still the powerful the sort of the sort of uh, special anecdote, if you will, that gets to people, antidote, that gets to people when they hear that name Jesus.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the difference is it's such a – that book goes right to the heart of the matter. You know what I mean? Like it's not beating around the bush. It's very much at the center of like this is what's most important. Do you really know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with him? Yeah. Do you understand what he's done and who he is and who he says you are? And um, I think because of that, because it's so core, such a central concept and idea – that uh that, yeah,
0: it just seems to kind of really get to that place for people. You also have written a few other books, it's not what you think, and certainly a marriage book on relationships with your wife called Love that last, which was really good. I'm just wondering now where you are, right? Because you're a dad of three, which is kind of crazy to think about, and been married for a few years with Alyssa, and you're so uh, public about your marriage and sort of some of the things that you've learned, and you you do ministry together, which is a really cool thing, because for many years, this was just you, and then now it's you and your wife, and you've been married for a while. Tell me about uh, the dynamic of doing life together, but even doing ministry together and doing work together. Yeah, it
1: has its challenges for sure. But we actually really, really love it. Um, That was actually a hope when everything kind of happened that we would actually could integrate ourselves together more and more because me and Alyssa feel a very similar call. She has such a gift to encourage women. She has such a gift of writing. She has such a gift to just kind of speak. And she doesn't care about the Internet, which I think is also what makes her so amazing on the Internet, Mm. is you can tell that when she is – on the internet. And when she's encouraging and she's blessing you, she doesn't care. She's not trying to build a platform. She's not trying to be an influencer, kind of all those, you know, terms everyone uses today. And that's what, I think that's what actually makes her really bleed through and cut through the noise as people. It's just such a real dense, she comes across so real and dense and, um, full, right. Not like flimsy or cheap or like a lot of some of the internet stuff is. And so, yeah, so we love working together. It's a blast. I think, Uh, the cool part is I think it's actually only accelerated our marriage in the sense of like, when you work together, you're just together more, you have to learn boundaries better from personal to work to conversations, to date nights, to everything. So, and all, in my opinion, all that does is accelerate your growth because you're just having the same conversations and same growth patterns that everyone's having. You're just having them a lot faster because you're around each other more, you're having more time with each other, and you're having the conversations in a quicker
0: way, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You're, and you're, and one of the things you're still very active on, and you talked about it with social media, especially Instagram. I was reading recently, um, you share a lot from your heart and a lot of sort of longer posts, which I really like that you do that. And you wrote one about. Uh, recently called breaking the script. And I think there's a lot of people, even in the sports world, a lot of coaches that listen to this podcast who feel trapped and caught up in routine, you know, as coaches, they're caught up in getting up and going through the same thing over and over again. And you were really talking about this from a, from a dad perspective, but can you speak into that a little bit about why that breaking the script mold was something that you really have seen value on in your life? Totally, totally. Um, yeah, a couple things
1: there. And yeah, I, I, I do this fun series called Jeff's Dad Thoughts where that's probably the main focus of our kind of work right now is this venture called Family Teams and we talk about building multi-generational family teams on mission. And it's actually really cool because it resonates a ton with the sports analogy. We talk about being a father coach, we talk about being team players and what that means and having a mission, winning the championship, you know, having uh, you know, practice and uh, games. And it's, it's, it's really, and, and using that language for a family, uh, is really, really strong and helpful. But yeah. yeah, so I do this series called Jeff's dad thoughts. And that was one of the ones, uh, where I posted this longer kind of thing to think about for people. Um, and yeah, the breaking the script concept, there's a couple things there. Well, one book people can go read that actually kind of details it with pretty cool science and psychology and just kind of like some data is uh what's it called? Uh, uh, power of moments, I believe by the Heath brothers. I think that's two brothers power of moments. I think, um, and there's some there's some stuff in there that's really, really brilliant. But essentially the concept uh, is is be is this is live on two poles and that's be very consistent and disciplined with a way of life. And what that'll do is that'll actually give you the opportunity to then break the script because sometimes when we're so disciplined and so wrote a routine that then nothing kind of, uh, wakes us up anymore. Right. And you want those moments for memories and, and you want a moment to create a moment that actually impacts someone. And I think it's really helpful for coaches that that, that is, and I saw coaches do this really well when I was a kid or when I was in high school and college is you want to be, you want to, so it's kind of like for the parenting example, right. By the way is right. Like, it would be ridiculous and unhelpful and not a good parent if every single night you know, your kid just goes to bed whenever they want. They have no bedtime routine. Right. They can do whatever they want, and they eat ice cream before bed every night. That would be ridiculous, and you'd probably be a you – know, that would probably not help you, yeah. <laughs> and that would be a very chaotic family, right? Absolutely. But, but um, let's say, okay, like for us, our family is a little bit more on the stringent side with bedtime where we have a really solid routine. They have to go through their checklist, and then they're in bed by 6.30. Boom, boom, boom. But what that does then is that actually sets the groundwork to then break the script and create really powerful relational connections where now once a month, you know, we put them down at six 30, we walk out of the room and then 15 minutes later we walk in, we turn the light on we say, Hey, we're going to get ice cream, right? Um, we want to have a little date. We want to surprise you. We want to what? Boom, whatever. And to them, they'll never forget that moment because you've kind of set the stage in a way where you're breaking the script. You're breaking the way that they think it should go. Um, and you're kind of breaking out of the routine that you've set in a really good way that kind of just gives them it really, and there's actually data to support this in that book that you just remember it better. You just literally like, that is how you make moments for kids. That's how you make moments on teams. And that's how, and those are really good to take advantage of for teaching moments, right? So do those moments. And if, when you need to have a really big conversation with your kid or do those moments when you need to, um, do something more serious or just something that needs to be remembered, because when you do that, that, that it kind of really gets deep down into our, memory,
0: you know. Yeah, oh that's great. I love it. And it plus it teaches your kids to get in the idea as they get older to yeah, routine is good and 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 you know having a habits that are positive or good, but occasionally veering off them and just kind of going on an adventure is is pretty cool and you've seen the benefits of that with your kids, right? Totally. Yeah. Totally. That's, that's it's awesome. a, they love it. I love that. Jefferson Bethke is our guest here. Last couple questions with Jeff on the podcast. You know, I wanted to ask you just your view of social media now, I guess, considering that it was a social media post on YouTube that started this journey in a lot of ways to where you are today. Obviously, God had a lot of plans and, and different things for you to do, but like it started with being able to write a book and, and all this came from a video on YouTube. How do you view social media? What are some of your thoughts on it and maybe even some of the disciplines that you have? I know you have a lot of disciplines which are really yeah. healthy and good, but what are, what are your thoughts on social media? Yeah, I
1: mean I think there's a couple things there. I don't think it's inherently evil, um, but I also don't think it's inherently good. I think it's a little bit neutral with a little bent towards um, unhelpful, damaging, and it needs to be regulated, and we need to discipline ourselves. So it's not (laughs) totally neutral. I would put it just even – I tip the scales a little bit towards unhelpful, but not in the sense of like but it can be helpful, right? So there's both. But I do think – I think the default position is unless we – here's a better way to put it. There's the most powerful companies we have ever seen in the entire world, from oil to gas to automotive industry to whatever it is. The most powerful ones in history are currently like right now, right yeah. tech companies proportionally to our GDP, proportionally to how they can infiltrate culture and affect two billion people. There's no other companies that barely you know could affect two billion people usually back in the past, um, or three billion people you know yeah. um. And so their power is insane, and the power is really concentrated, right? Even if you could say that with oil or automotive industries, there was thousands of people in those corporations making those decisions. Realistically, at the top, there's like 50 people that are making decisions in Silicon Valley that are affecting two billion people. So it's just absurd, right? And they have a, and the money is in the trillions, and so they have a mission, and they make more money. If we look at their product, right? If we engage with their product, if we consume their product, so they then have a motivation to make it as addictive as possible, right now, not even in a bad way. Like that's a business motivation that they make more money and they build their business better if they can keep our eyes on the screen. So then my thing is, unless you have a competing vision, unless you have a competing discipline, unless you have a competing rule of life for your own phone and for your household and for your family or for yourself, then you will lose right? Like you will automatically lose the game because their ways are too powerful, right? How they manipulate color, how they manipulate notifications, how they manipulate and think of ways of how your brain works, right? Like they have, they have spent billions of dollars of studying rats and psychology and all these things and gambling and slot machines to know how they can get you on there more, right? So unless you have a competing vision, you will lose. And so that's more what I'm saying is the default position is most people don't. And so that's where I think it's unhealthy because most of us are just being sucked in to the robotic psychology of just kind of, you know, drone-like behavior with how we engage with it rather than saying, oh yeah, it's great and it's helpful. It's in a tool. But do I have a competing vision for what it should look like? And so, yeah, our family has what we call the technology manifesto. And it's basically just some like rules we've carved up of like what's helpful for it in our family. How do we want to use it? What does that look like? And so, yeah, that tends to be rules like no phones in the bedroom at night. Mm. Um, We want that to be a sacred space. We turn our phones off 24 hours once a week. So my phone is completely turned off and my computer is completely turned off Friday night to Saturday night for our family Sabbath every single week um and that's like yeah you can't get a hold of me right if some emergency happens well that stinks i'm with my family at least right, right. um that's yes. just that's just the, what we've chosen and so yeah so it's off for 24 hours a week um what else is there? There's a bunch. Like, yeah, no, none at the dinner table. It's not allowed to come out on date nights. Uh, you know, our kids aren't – we don't really – we're pretty minimal on shows and screen time for them. There's a bunch more that uh, I could think of. But, uh, yeah, and stuff like that. And we, we also do like a week-long break once a year. So we call it the one 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 rule where it's – we try to have our phone off or away from us one hour a day, one day a week, and then one week a year. Mm. Um, and just to think and breathe and have that space for the Lord to speak. And so, yeah, so I think it's, I think social media is great. I think it's an awesome tool. I don't think it's reality, but yeah. I also don't think that it should be knocked for not being reality. I think some people say, Oh, it's not reality. It's cheap. It's fake. I'm like, no, it's, it's a great tool to share like highlights. Yeah. And I think some people actually struggle with that part too, which I disagree with that. They sometimes think like, Oh, all we see is people's good. All we see is highlights. I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that's kind of what it is. Like you shouldn't be going to it for like an authentic view of everyone's life. That's not – right. you should go to your real life for that, right? Yeah. It's like no one goes to a photo book. No one goes to their family photo book back at grandma's house and says, hey, grandma, how come all these pictures are just of the family smiling? How come all these pictures are just of the good birthdays? How come all these pictures are just of our awesome vacations? How come there's no pictures of when I got sick or when I got the flu or <laughs> yeah. you know when mom and dad got divorced? How come there's no pictures of that? Um, you don't do that, right? No, like that's not a photo book's job. A photo book's job is just to be a, is to tell a story and represent the highlights of your family. And I think social media is actually like that. And I think a lot of us knock it too much. There's like this weird countercultural movement of like, be super authentic, be super vulnerable. And it's like, no, nah, that's kind of like a weird fake
0: pseudo vulnerability on the internet. It's like, do that in your real life with your real people, you know? Yeah. No, and it's interesting. I wonder that technology manifesto that you just described, do you, did you implement that because you saw yourself gravitating to a place that, was unhealthy? Yeah. Well,
1: I think it's just like kind of like bowling in my opinion with those. What do you call those? The no, what do they put those when the kids bowl those things up in the gutters? What do they call those? Like, uh,
0: Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, um, I don't even know what they're called. They're, uh, uh bumpers. Bumpers. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: Bumpers. So like, it's kind of like that. It's like, okay, I, I want to live my, I'm our life is the bowling ball, right? Like we are the bowling ball going down the the trajectory of where we think the Lord's taking us. And I just think, yeah, you will do a better job if you put those bumpers up, which is like rules and manifestos
0: of getting yourself in the right direction. If not, then you'll just kind of go off in the gutter, you know? It makes complete sense. I love that. Jefferson Bethke has been our guest here on the podcast. So I know you've written basically two books and co-authored a third with your wife and you got another one on the way and lots of good things happening. Can you share with our audience, just some of the ways and places that you are, I know there's a a great event happening in Ohio, I think in the fall, that's a marriage sort of retreat. Can you share a little bit about what's happening with that, with the new book and just kind of things in the future? Yeah, so
1: uh, I have a new book coming out in October, which I'm really excited about. I think the subtitle is – I haven't memorized it yet, but it's like reclaiming your life in an overspent, overworked, and overconnected world. Oh, that's good. Um, And so I kind of wrote this this idea of how do we kind of recapture a fullness and not be just driven to pseudo-false kind of shallow anxiousness or – um, anxiety and uh, and live in a really flourishing existence with Jesus. So I'm really excited for that that comes in October. But yeah, the main thing that takes up a lot of our time now and that's kind of our concentration is is family teams. It's 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 a an initiative we do with our mentors that has everything from books to courses to a free podcast called Five Minute Fatherhood, and then we do a really big live event called the Family Teams Weekend in October where. We basically just, um, we call it, you know, two days that can change your family forever. It's not a conference. It's a lot more of a workshop where you kind of come in, you get a family blueprint, you get a mission and vision, you get kind of to change your trajectory of your family and work on your family. And um, we're really excited for that. That's in October as well in Ohio. Um, But yeah, so all the family team stuff is at familyteams.com. You can see the event, you can see the podcast, you can see the books we've written. But um, yeah, equipping fathers and mothers to build multi-generational family teams on mission is kind of what we're really focusing it all right now. And that's definitely where you can find that family com. That's
0: cool. And you can check out everything on his social media pages at Jefferson Bethke. you're posting all about that stuff on Twitter and Instagram and lots of good stuff happening. I, I have a, one last question, actually two more last questions, but the, the one I wanted to just ask really is because you live in Hawaii, you live in Maui. And I always wonder, and I remember when you were moving there and that big move that you made to go from Seattle to, to Hawaii and what that was like, yeah. but now you're kind of you're entrenched there and you've been there a while. Is it, is it everything that people who live in the Northeast like me in Connecticut just wish that we could have? Is there even a downside to living in Hawaii? <laughs> uh,
1: they're really, they're really, I mean, besides the expensiveness of real estate, true. Uh, Not so much. But yeah, no, it is pretty exactly what you think. The beaches, the water, the weather, you know, the winter is a cool 80 degrees. Um, It's pretty incredible. (laughs) And the summer is a cool 80 degrees too, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like fluctuates by like 10 degrees all year. Oh, that's amazing. That's awesome. Jeff, this has been great. Thanks so much for being here on the show. The last question that we ask all of our guests on the podcast, and I'm always curious what the answers are for different people is... The Lord, what is God right now teaching you in the season of life that He has you? Because He's always teaching us something and it's a process in our relationship with Him. What is God teaching you where you are today?
1: Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think of me and Alyssa try to tend to kind of seek the Lord every year and pick a word for the year uh, individually. So not the same word, but just kind of like, hey, what, and kind of like, Lord, give us a theme for the year. What do you feel like you want us to work on and grow in and live in? And, uh, the word he gave me for this year is diligence. And so I feel like that is what I'm learning. That's what I'm pushing into of just how to keep my head down, how to be faithful. I think specifically millennials, we sometimes can struggle with just wanting things to happen so fast, so quick. Um, when that's not the, the scriptures are about faithfulness. The scriptures are about guys who didn't get their shot or have their moment till they're 60, right? Because they lived in obedience to the Lord. And, or even if you're Jesus himself till you're 33, which that's like a senior citizen, according to millennials age. Right. right and yeah. so, um, yeah, just diligence, just being faithful with my work. Um, doing the work, doing the hard work, um, but doing it honoring to the Lord and being diligent in it. That's what he's teaching me. And that's what I'm learning.
0: He is Jefferson Bethke, New York Times best-selling author, speaker, evangelist, husband, dad, lots of great things happening in Jeff's life. And just appreciate you looking forward to your new book and lots of great things happening on the horizon. Jeff, thanks for being here on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Glad we could get it done and uh, just encouraged by all that you're doing, my friend. Keep fighting that good fight. And thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It was a blast. And many thanks to Jefferson Bethke for joining us here on Sports Spectrum. Of course, if you aren't already following him, please do give him a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Jefferson Bethke. You can check out his website, jeffandalyssa.com. He's got such great content, lots of good stuff, not only on his social platforms, but on his YouTube channel, still putting videos out there as well. And tons of videos from the past that are up there on so many different topics uh, that related to the faith world and just parenting and life itself and that 2013 book jesus greater than religion was a game changer i highly recommend you read it if you haven't checked it out already even though it's five six years old it's still a very relevant book because it points people back to jesus not to church or religion or even christianity It's just pointing you back to Jesus, and that's really what we like to do on this podcast is bring Jesus back into the conversation. So give Jeff a follow. Check out all the stuff he's got going on. Looking forward to his new book as well, releasing October 2019. Thanks to Jeff for joining us here on the podcast, and we want to thank our sponsors, Compassion International as well. We're grateful to them and thankful that they are partners with us here at Sports Spectrum because we believe in what their mission is all about. And their mission is to bring the name of Jesus to every single child and releasing them from poverty. We sponsor a 13-year-old boy from Haiti, and it's the best $38 that we, the Romanos, spend every single month. And you can get in on it as well by sponsoring a child through Compassion. Go to the website, Compassion.com sportspectrum Sports Spectrum. You'll see a list of children there. Pray about it. Consider sponsoring a child. Choose the child that you want to sponsor. Food, education, medical care, vocational training. That's what happens when you sponsor a child through Compassion. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum and consider releasing a child from poverty today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Jefferson Bethke. If this is your first time hearing Sports Spectrum, welcome. We're so glad to have you. Click that subscribe button. That would be awesome. If you could check out whatever app you're on listening to this podcast right now, click that subscribe button and never miss an episode of the Sports Spectrum podcast. 300 plus interviews we've done here on the intersection of sports and faith. Lots of great interviews and different type of people, men, women, sports, pastors, writers, authors, people like Jefferson Bethke, former college baseball players, turned New York Times bestselling authors and evangelists. Just so many great interviews that you can take a listen to. Hit that subscribe button and never miss an episode of the Sports Spectrum podcast. Also want to direct you to our website, sportspectrum.com. Content every single day on the intersection of sports and faith, including a daily devotional and every single podcast that we have released is available at our website. Check it out, sportspectrum.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time with a new episode of Sports Spectrum's podcast. We love you guys. Have a great rest of your day.